Zone is brought to you by Guaranteed Foods, official sponsor of Family Mealtime. Enjoy healthier food, more free time, free delivery, and better value. Go to GuaranteedFoods.com. The Zona Chiefs victory Monday here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Joshua Briscoe and Dylan Michaels with you. Jason Anderson out today. If you want to call in, I told you the beginning of the first hour, we leave the 11 o'clock wide open for you. So here is the offer. 913-3810-810. If you'd like to share your thoughts on Travis Kelsey, the Chiefs wide receivers, the Chiefs defense, Chiefs Vikings, the rest of the AFC, AFC West, the Broncos losing to the Jets in hilarious fashion. Whatever it is, if it's from the NFL weekend, you're invited to call in and share your thoughts about it. And if you don't, Dylan and I will hang out and keep talking about some things from last night that we found fascinating. Nothing funnier, not to give away a little Learn Funniest Best coming up at 1. I don't think anything funnier this weekend happened than the Jets beating the Broncos the way that they did and the surrounding circumstances of it all. The Bengals did look like they were getting somewhat back on track, a, a little bit of a more perhaps slightly more mobile Joe Burrow as they beat the Cardinals, which is, you know, something that everybody except for the Cowboys has done. Sorry if uh, George happens to be listening. He's our resident um, Chiefs-Cowboys postgame caller and all-around good guy. But uh, maybe don't turn on the TV today, George. Maybe keep it here. We won't talk much more about uh, about the Cowboys. Uh, they got completely shellacked in primetime by the Niners last night in one of those games that, like, makes you re- reconsider what amongst the class of the NFC means <laughs> because the Niners look incredible both sides of the ball and they made the Cowboys look like pretenders I think that might be overstating things they're a playoff team but they're they're not beating the healthy Niners and we'll see how the, the Niners continue to evolve uh, but we spent a whole lot of time pretty much the whole first hour talking about Travis Kelsey and the Chiefs receivers uh, we also have audio from from Reed and Mahomes on that ju- that shot to Justin Watson and some interesting stuff there in that play we can dig into a little bit as well. But I want to talk about the defense. Um, I, I want to talk about Legarius Sneed and not just the non-call. But since we're here, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this today, I promise. I don't want to. I think if you watched that game last night as an honest-to-goodness NFL fan, last night I mean Chiefs-Vikings. My default is to say the Chiefs played last night because so many of their games are prime time and it's late when we leave here. <laughs> so, you know, forgive forgive me for spagsing the start time. Yesterday afternoon, if you watched that game and you wanted to talk about refereeing instead of talking about Travis Kelsey or Legarius Sneed or the Chiefs receivers or the Vikings offense being held within check, but also being like kind of scary at the same time. There's just a thousand things that I personally think are more interesting than the goldfish brain it takes to only remember refereeing from the last five minutes of a football game. I'm also victim of it to some extent because it's way easier to remember the last thing that happened. Like I, I tweeted last night at JB Briscoe, if you, you're still looking for a real good follow. Dylan, what's your new Twitter handle? DMichaels810? Did I get it? I got it in one. Follow Dylan also. He does good work. He was really excited about Sean Payton, but I don't hold it against him. Don't hold it. He loves Sean, but don't hold it against him. Please don't. Please do not. You loved him pre-Broncos. This is about Sean Payton, not about the Broncos. Pre-Kevin James. Playing him <laughs> as well. Which the Jets made an 
amazing callback to last night. That may be that may be one portion of my uh, of my funniest actually. Just delicious. But I tweeted last night, hey, good news, everybody. Uh, we will not have to hear about referees from the Chiefs game all day on the national shows because the Dallas Cowboys just got absolutely obliterated by the Niners in primetime. That's leading every show. And so far, I've been correct. On the shows that I've kept an eye on, I, I it honestly may have been the only thing I saw happening on first take. I think they were talking about the Jets after that, which is sort of weird, but, you know, whatever. Big markets. It's fine. I personally don't watch a ton of national TV media because what we do here is important for that reason. We're going to talk about the Chiefs for more or less four hours. But, <laughs> no offense to the local schools, by the way, I just sort of in this moment realized, oh yeah, we also had some local football and um, KU fans might want to talk about it, but that's it. So maybe everyone else will let us have this one. Hey, KU, rock chalk, baby. That was incredible. And for K-State Mizzou fans, I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen, okay? We can let Jason talk about that tomorrow with Braden. Or I'll talk about it tomorrow with Braden. Depending on the injury report. All that to say, there are 400 things I'd rather talk about today than the refereeing. The NFL, was it was, it was a ref show in London in the morning. It appeared to be a pretty ref-heavy day around the league, but certainly in the two games that I just watched wire to wire, which was the morning game and then Chiefs-Vikings. Just a lot of laundry. Shockingly, not a penalty on Juwan Taylor. Anybody think about that? I didn't think about it in postgame. But hey, you know what? Finally, not on national TV, just tucked away on the game of the week on CBS. Tucked away up there in Minnesota. Juwan Taylor got to play football again. So this is not a topic that I enjoy. But I thought Legereus Sneed and Andy Reid both handled it very well. On the deep shot non-call, they threw the flag and picked it up on what was not defensive pass interference from Legereus Sneed. And then he took his helmet off, which is a flaggable offense, which he was not flagged for. And it appeared, before we heard from Sneed, it appeared that the ref told him to put his helmet back on and he put his helmet back on. I'll save you my take on that one first. Let's start with Andy Reid. Andy Reid asked about the flag being picked up on the non-DPI against Legereus Sneed in the end zone late in the game. Yeah, so he was just jogging, running with him. I mean, it wasn't he wasn't grabbing him or pushing him or anything. He just that's how they were just running down the field. So and the ball was, you know, obviously it wasn't catchable. So, but he, um, he he did a nice job. I thought shadow on him, you know. I thought it was a good call. I mean, I that was a, I think picking picking the flag up was probably the right thing to do. They they communicated, which it's all that's all you asked for. I mean, that was one guy. You know, they're they're human beings, so they're working on it there. He was just jogging with him. Okay, he was running with him, but the ball obviously wasn't catchable. So. That's literally what Andy Reid said there. I just said it more sarcastically. He just said it in a way like to not offend anybody or get fined or anything. I just said it that way because it's how I actually hear it. I'm I'm decoding Andy Reid. It wasn't there. It was like an old Key and Peele skit of like uh, like being Obama's anger translator. I'm I'll be Andy Reid's like vibes translator. Yeah, no, I, that obviously wasn't a penalty. I mean, the ball was like barely still in the state of Minnesota. 
the, I, did the ball hit one of the bars in the in the top of the dome? I thought I, I thought for sure a bird flew down, knocked the ball out of its cycle, and kicked it over halfway down the end zone. Obviously, it wasn't catchable. Oh, what was that? That was Belichick in honor of what you're saying <laughs> with Andy Reid and Hit how it he again. handled it. Yeah, hit it again. Nope. <laughs> That's just what it is. Legereus need also again. I mentioned this last night. He. He's not a long talker. Um, he he will he will answer a question on the shortest route to it, which I think is a good thing for a defensive back to do. Uh, but I really thought he he had good, interesting perspective on the same question on what happened throughout the course of that play. Well, uh, they didn't tell me anything. You know, they was they got together and told me to move back, put my helmet back on. Can you take us through that play? Just guarding on that fourth play. Uh, yeah, I knew it was a uh, fourth down, and I knew uh, they had to go to the end zone. So I played off at the sticks and, you know, get my head back. Let me hit this for time. You put your helmet back on. Can you take us through when they did throw the flag and the emotions there? Did you know you couldn't take it off? The whole uh, yes, sir. I knew I couldn't take it off. It just, you no, know, I was caught up in the moment. And uh, I just told them that I'll put it back on. I told them put it back on. I'll put it back on. Do you agree they should pick up that flag on fourth and of, of course, because I got my head back. Of course. Of course. Because he got his head back. I mean, if you haven't rewatched the play recently, do it. Sneeze looking back. Sneed's looking back to Kirk Cousins more more frequently and effectively than the receiver is. It guys, it's just not a catchable football. And and again, if if we want to have a conversation about like the DPI that got thirty one yards for the Chiefs on MVS's deep shot there, I generally on on. All sides of the coin here. I'm telling you right now, I, I I wish what the Chiefs got there would not have been a penalty. Because if I was writing the NFL rulebook from scratch, I don't like rewarding an offense for a quarterback underthrowing a football and making the receiver fight back through the defensive back to try to get to it. And now all of a sudden, the defensive back is being penalized. Uh, and look, if the DB gets their head around it at all, they're not going to get penalized for it more often than not. But I just, I don't even care. If the DB just wants to stand there and hold their arms up in the air and say, you know, that's fine, get around me, I, this ball was underthrown by five yards, I'm not going to get a penalty for you coming back to fight for the ball, that could just as easily be a miscommunication, or again, a mistake, or a, a tipped pass, or a rushed throw, the arm of the quarterback gets hit, whatever. I don't, philosophically, I don't want the offense to get rewarded for that. But that's that rule... And that being fuzzy is why the Chiefs got a long penalty on that attempt at MVS. Ball was a little underthrown, maybe a little bit too on a rope. I'll have to go back and, and shuffle through it all again. But he fights through the defender, they get called. Because what happens there is that, that was the Harrison Smith play, right? Harrison Smith on that play, it is it is just the back of his jersey. You could just, I know it was Smith, but as I think about it again, because it's the only part of him that I saw clearly on that play. He, there was, there was no shot of him tracking the football there. So refs are going to throw the flag because you don't even, you barely make an effort even there. Okay. For Sneed, it wasn't hand fighting like Andy Reid said. This isn't, Andy Reid and Legereus Sneed. Have no question, and look, you know, on the benefiting side, whatever. I've just never heard either of the. I've never heard the Jerry Sneed try to lead a little deception in a postgame presser. And Andy Reid has different things he can say when he 
somewhat disagrees with something? I, in, in no way whatsoever does that even sound like it was a play that they thought there was an argument for, which I tend to side with. Because again, Snead is fully looking back as he goes. He looked lost at the end of the play because he was looking for the ball and it wasn't anywhere near him. There was nowhere he could have made a play on the football because it wasn't catchable. That's just what the play is. That being a non-call and the MVS one being a call is, to me, an incredibly easy one to break down. And again, throughout the entirety of games, I it frustrates me when... It frustrates me when people seem to forget that NFL referees are just kind of like this. And I, man, I, I said this after the Super Bowl. I said this after the Jets game. I've, I've been saying this for years. NFL referees have a really difficult job. And so when a bad call changes a game, I don't even usually have beef with the ref. The, the individual often 60-year-old man on field level, surrounded by some of the world's most violent and physical and fast athletes. You are, again, if, if you've never had a chance to stand at field level for an NFL game, imagine the speed just turning up like an extra 20% each like row closer you get or whatever. And there are 22 dudes on the field at all times. It's part of the reason where I would nitpick on refereeing in the Juwan Taylor situation we're saying, hey, you, you got 22 dudes to keep an eye on. This is hard enough as it is. Why are you watching Jawan Taylor entirely through the play? Why are you on specifically Spotlight 74 watch? That seems wild. And here, as Andy Reid broke it all down, the referees executed that properly on the non-call for Snead. But if the, the, the place where I do get frustrated when there is a bad, uh, an objectively bad call or, or missed something... I get frustrated not with the dudes who are in a very difficult spot. I get I get frustrated with the league for putting them in very, very, very similar spots as they were in five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. We've seen advancements in slow-mo and replay. More cameras now and more pylon cams, and that's all good, and that's those are ways to help your referees. But you, you could you could throw a, a sky ref up in the box who has a, a cell phone and, and the head ref has an AirPod. Like, I, I am doing, I am solving this with very similar, very, very simple technology. To where there's a chance for somebody up in the booth in every game, a, a full-on referee, not not New York, not a consultant, but a, a trained NFL referee who's, who's maybe just tired of being on the turf. Have your Skybox ref who can dial down and say, you guys talking about it? Okay, now this looks like a no call to me. I'm going to uh, watch one more time. You guys are kind of along those same tracks. What do you guys think? You guys think it's probably a pick up the flag. I'm looking at it. Yep, pick up the flag. We're good. Not a penalty. Now, a lot of times that's subjective, and that's scary. I get it. I really do. But we have ways where we at home are more educated on the play at hand than the referees who are on the field were. Because we get to watch a slow-mo replay five seconds after the play ends. And they got to try to think, oh, did it seem like you might have stepped out? Did I see black pellets coming up from the turf with both sets of toes? I think there are ways to improve NFL refereeing without throwing the game in molasses and just throwing it, slowing it down to a crawl. 
But if you have NFL referee beef, start there. Because there are, there are other things the league could do to try to make that a smoother experience for everybody. I think that's my final refereeing take for the time being. Uh, one more from Legereus Sneed, though. I had to double-check today also. Justin Jefferson, the the when he came out of the medical tent and was watching the Vikings offense start without him. That was, I believe, at the 8.55 mark, so about nine minutes left in the game. I don't I don't have the time that he went out or how much time he was out, whatever. But if you forgot that Justin Jefferson played in the second half at all, you I wouldn't blame you. I don't know what a stat line specifically for the second half even was, actually. We knew this was going to be the plan because Spag talked about it a little bit last week and the Chiefs had kind of tinkered with this a little bit with Snead. But the plan for the Vikings was they're going to move Justin Jefferson and if he's outside, Legereus Snead is going with him. If he's in the slot, it's Trent McDuffie. And either way, we, the Kansas City Chiefs defense, like our matchup against the best receiver in football. The Chiefs defense yesterday, we can pick around the pass rush in some places where they do need to be able to get a little more pressure, a little more consistency without blitzing. Charles Minahue is coming back in five days now or whatever. So that will be enormous for that effort. One more game without Minahue, And then he'll be in the rotation. So I I mean I'm not even really worrying about that right now. I want to see what that looks like. I think the I think the Chiefs expected him to be out for the first four games, if I had to guess, and I think they expect him to be their second best pass rusher right now, potentially. So we'll see what, what the defense looks like with him. But the Chiefs held the Vikings defense to twenty points. The, the Chief the Vikings offense to twenty points. They held the Lions to twenty one. That's the highest scoring effort from another team all year. One of those touchdowns went through the hands of Kadarius Toney. The other one was impacted by the fake punt. Another fake punt thing today. They had the defense out yesterday. So they were ready for it. Andy Reid said after the game, it was just a nice little play. They got us. Whatever. If it would have just been a fourth fourth and one conversion, we wouldn't have to talk about it as much. So we'll see. We'll see if we hear from Dave Tobe today. But the Chiefs defense has given up no more than 20 points on their own accord now through five games. And two of those offenses were in bad places when the Chiefs got there and found them. The Jags are real, and the Chiefs made them look fraudulent. The Lions are real, and the Chiefs made that offense have to work. Uh, uh, Having Travis Kelsey, that game is different. The Vikings, 1-4 record notwithstanding, have had a nice offense for a while now, including this year. And Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson is a hell of a trio. Justin Jefferson went 3 for 28 in this game. Longest reception was 14 yards. There was some, I was looking at some kind of fun over-unders going into the game, and one of them, I think, was Justin Jefferson over-under 32.5 yards after the catch. I don't think I'd bet anything on if so was in some parlay that didn't hit anyway, so no biggie. He didn't have that, period. He, he didn't have 32 yards catch <laughs> during the catch, in the midst of the catch. 
Legarius Sneed was stupendous. Trent McDuffie, I think, had that one penalty that ended up being on him, and it kind of lost his footing a little bit. It's like the only mistake we've seen him make this year. This entire secondary handled this effort very, very well from a, a good Vikings offense. And once again, missing Nick Bolton. The, the Chiefs gave up about 3.2 yards per carry or so to the Vikings' real running backs. Ty Chandler had one run for 15 yards that I've already completely deleted from my mind. I don't even remember when that happened. At no point that I think at all whatsoever, uh-oh, here comes Alexander Madison. And not because of him. He's a good runner. The, the Chiefs' defensive line is not a bunch of run-stuffers. Derek Nottie is the, the beef of that defensive line. They go smaller for, for passing situations. The Vikings ran the ball 18 times for 70 yards. That's including Cousins, Scrambles, and a bunch of other things. But Madison was 8 for 26. Cam Akers was 5 for 15. And the Chiefs' coverage in the middle of the field was good. Willie Gay had a couple open field tackles that were stupid. Pendous. Drew Tranquil was everywhere. Leo Chanel, as a blitzer, is is starting to look like the real deal. Not just as a blitzer, but especially as a blitzer. The the back seven or eight, I guess. I don't know, it's the back seven, six or seven. Look at back seven. The back seven of this defense was stupendous, and it's rotating through some guys, not just seven players, obviously, but the linebackers and the defensive backs, I thought were fabulous in this game. Against a real test. They were more impressive against the Vikings than they were against the Jets. And against the Jets, some of that was just Zach Wilson making some absolutely immaculate throws that I did not know he would ever see from him again. Or see from him, period. The pass rush is a little bit of a work in progress, I think. George Karloftis is making impacts. There were a couple of times when you just said, oh man, if he could just bend off that corner, he's sacking Kirk Cousins. But instead, it's not quite there. It's a tough thing to do. That's kind of part of the scouting report. Saw Felix out there a few times in obvious passing situations. Still looking... Energetic as all hell, which I'll take. Just give me a relentless little burst of energy from a situational pass rusher. I'm, I'll take that every time. Chris Jones got his sack because it's just a thing he does every week now, I guess. I would like to see, again, as I mentioned a second ago, I'd like to see the front four get pressure on their own a little more reliably, a little more frequently. I think Amina who's going to help that in a major way. But even now, with a couple of weeks in a row that didn't feel like dominant defensive performances, and I'm not completely sure why that is for Minnesota. It was because it felt like they were always close to maybe breaking one, like there always could be a Justin Jefferson 60-yard touchdown. But there never was. The defense came out literally the first play of the game, a great hit by Justin Reed to force that ball out, scooped up by Brian Cook. Safeties have been good this year, man. They forced a turnover on the first play of the game, and there are some instances of bending and not breaking. I'm checking the first down markers because I did want to see if that might explain. Yeah, how about this for a fun stat? 
The Chiefs had 21 first downs yesterday. The Vikings had 24. That's what I was clicking over that tab to check because I thought, well, you know, if it, it felt kind of like the Vikings were just moving the chains, moving the chains, moving the chains. But in the bend-but-don't-break sort of philosophy that can, of course, be extremely frustrating and a little bit reductive, turnovers are are unpredictable. The Chiefs got one on the first play of the game and then didn't get another one. They also didn't give up the football. But the Vikings converted 24 first downs, 15 of them passing, five of them from penalties. They were four of five on fourth down. But much like defenses have been playing the Chiefs differently the last couple of years, when you say, hey, dink and dunk us, and we're going to just keep everything in front of us. That's not exactly what the Chiefs are doing here schematically, but hear me out. Dink and dunk in front of us. Take your shots. Go ahead. Just just chip away, and then let's see where we're at in the red zone. The logic of that is we're going to make you make more plays, so there's, you're more likely to have a bad one. A turnover. We get you to third and six. Well, this these six yards are really important, unless you get like five, and then go for it, because you're allowed to do that. But ultimately, I really think that's what it was yesterday. Vikings moved the ball pretty well. But the Chiefs defense did all of that to a T of, no, we're, we're going to continue to tackle you right after the catch. We're going to make every yard of this difficult. We're not going to give up big chunk plays. And then if the field gets condensed, if you get down to the red zone, we'll meet you down there. But the defense has some has another friend called the back of the end zone, which was like really important in that Jags game. I'm still really excited about this Chiefs defense. I am prepared to be more unreasonably excited about it after they hopefully make the Broncos look foolish on Thursday Night Football. And then Charles Minahu comes back. You get a good test, but I'm just really, really, really excited to see what he looks like in this defense. We'll take a break here in the zone. Joshua Briscoe and Dylan Michaels. I cracked open the phone lines. If you want to call in and sound off, you can do that. 913-3810-810. Otherwise, we'll keep hanging out here. We'll talk to Field Yates of ESPN coming up at noon. Mick Schaefer of KSHB 41 will be here at 1. Somewhere between Field and Mick, we're hoping to hear from Chiefs coordinators. A little bit of a weird week all week long because the uh, Chiefs and Broncos uh, play on Thursday, like I just mentioned. So everything gets moved up. Today is uh, Thursday, Monday for the Chiefs. Uh, it's a Monday, Monday for us, though. And a victory one at that. This might be some real whiplash to uh, old, almost entirely sports listeners, but the Drake just gave me some incredible news about uh, Animal Crossing Legos. Oh, man. Now I gotta look. Does this mean there's gonna, is this teasing the next upcoming game? Is the, is the, the Super Nintendo Switch on the way? Oh, I can't wait. They got eight minifigs! Look at the Tom Nook one! Dylan, look! Dylan, look at the Animal Crossing Lego minifigs! They're adorable! That's the happiest I've been since I looked at Twitter and saw somebody retweeting Mike Florio for no reason. No, actually, I think Drake just pulled me out of a pit of despair. Hey, here's, I just tweeted it. But, like, just a PSA. I know it's hard, because I'm also not good at it. It's an ongoing challenge. But it's totally okay to just not retweet the stupidest people on the internet. (laughs) 
Even when it's a spinning windmill dunk. Like, I get it. It's fun. I like it. It's It feels good to just hang off the rim for a second while Mike Florio lays on the ground because he doesn't like Brock Purdy's name. Does it because it sounds more like Brock Turdy? That's not a. I'm not making that up. That's a real thing he said. It's hilarious. But like we, the thing that you can do for those people, and Florio's a tough one because he's like also on TV and stuff, as opposed to some of like the really <laughs> depraved aggregators that just sort of grab stuff and then push it back out, and it's never good or helpful information. They're the worst, and still people like, you know, Florio tweeting about, oh, these two penalties, the refs gave the Chiefs, whatever, blah, 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 hashtag Swift effect. I'm talking about it here, and I'm going to stop talking about it, because I would urge you, desperately urge you, if you are on social media, <laughs> to get off of it. And if you if you turn that uh, request away, try to resist the urge to accidentally amplify the worst take you'll see today. Because I know, I, without beyond the shadow of a doubt, I promise you, I could go viral on Bill's or Bingle's Twitter today by just saying something I don't believe about Joe Burrow or Josh Allen or the refs or whatever. I, I could do all of that today. I don't want to do that because I'm not here to farm negative engagement for whatever reason. But some of these people are. And the most hurtful thing you can do to the the lunatic on Twitter talking out of there with a megaphone, the worst thing you can do for the rest of society is to give them a bigger megaphone. The best thing you can do is walk away as their megaphone slowly turns into, you know, a, a toilet paper tube. And now they look like a fool again. It's tough. I'm not perfect at it. Sometimes it takes so bad, you just want it. You want to go ahead and let everybody know that it's a bad take. And sometimes, if I, if I really got to do it, sometimes I'll screenshot a tweet and then tweet it out so it's not directly giving them the amplification they're looking for. But even that's still a bit of a half measure. Just something to think about if you, much like I am, are perpetually upset with the state of sports, social media, and the type of stuff that, that rises to the top. Just a humble suggestion. If you want to call in, we'll uh, take some calls for the next few minutes, 913-3810-810, which Jerry has done. Jerry, uh, what's on your mind? Oh, I was just sitting here thinking about the Chiefs and everything. Um, I got like two or three things I'd like to say, but starting out, the Patrick Mahomes thing, it's the play that almost was. Do you remember when Minnesota had one timeout left and they were – Patrick and them guys were going to do like a, trying to draw him offside, yeah. and then Patrick walked off with like five seconds left. Yep. He just did that little tweak or twerk like he was getting ready to get up on the line, like they were going to do a quick snap. Before they took the timeout, I was like, oh, go for it, go for it. Once they took the timeout, I'm like, oh, kick it. I'd rather watch him. I, I, I trust the defense on that one. Yeah. But imagine the guys that were sitting there. I, I think Patrick got some of them kind of – pucker up a little bit when he kind of did that motion like he was going to get up on the line. I thought that was funny to myself. The weird thing, though, is that with this week, there were you know that saying they've been saying about, uh, oh, winning teams find a way to win and Mm -hmm. losing teams find a way to lose? Yep. 
there's an exception to that, and there's six teams that did that exception. The winners, the, the, the losers that won are Chicago, New York Jets, Cincinnati. <laughs> you just mentioned it. Yep. The winners that found a way to lose are Buffalo, Baltimore, and Dallas. Mm. And to me, that is par for the course. So I, I don't know. Every year it's like that. These Buffalo, Baltimore, Dallas, they never make it to the end. But they're the. It was weird how there were ten winning teams that that won, and there were ten losing teams that lost. But there were three three winning teams lost, and three losing teams won. It is just weird. Interesting. Yeah, but no, I didn't want to bug you guys. I just I was bored, so I thought I'd call. <laughs> Jerry, with my useless information. No, Jerry. First of all, that is a, a foundational brick of sports radio. So thank you for being bored enough to call in and chat with us. And and secondarily, not useless information. That's actually fascinating, and I really appreciate your call. Um, I did not know that stat. That's new to me. So again, good work by uh, I'm going to say assistant producer Jerry. Sorry, sorry, Dylan. But uh, you have to share. You have to share the production credit now. But that's really interesting. And it's also funny that it's Buffalo, Baltimore, Dallas, because like Jerry said, it kind of feels like some of the, those are some of the um, repeat offenders kind of in that general category of like, oh, aren't they supposed to be better than that? But man, it, it is a great, I just thought you were going in the route of, of talking about the Chiefs with it, Jerry. I didn't realize it was even going to be as as factual as the results yesterday in terms of winning records and losing records, because the Chiefs for the frustrating games that happen every once in a while, the Colts games and stuff like that. They're really good at being a winning team who keeps winning, who wins games that are tough, who wins games without uh, a healthy Travis Kelsey or without the best game from their defense or whatever it may be. That's a, that is a real skill and a real trait in the NFL that the Chiefs seem to be excellent at. I'm so glad you mentioned the timeout trick play because I'm so with you. I wanted them to snap that football. Not just situationally, which I, I still did. I... I I wish they would have gone for it, period. I understand. I understand why you kick it there and where the game's at. And it, it would have it would have mathematically and analytically leaned to go for it there. It would have made sense. And just sort of like vibes-wise, coaching-wise, whatever, I would have liked to see them go for it. I'd like to see the Chiefs be a team that does play with four downs and, and knows that they've got the best quarterback in football to to entrust to have one successful play. But I just wanted them to snap that football on that play in particular. Because it it relatively early on went from a okay, they're gonna go for it to oh they're trying to go off sides to a oh this is new. Are they gonna go for it? To uh no, nah, they're just trying to get him to jump off sides. But in those little moments of Hey, we got this Canarius Tony kind of wildcat thing going on. I wouldn't mind seeing Isaiah Pacheco do that. It was it was a really interesting sequence, and I I wonder as the as the Chiefs have tinkered with that more early in this season, I, I would be willing to to bet a small amount of cash that we will see a high leverage version of one of those types of plays later in the year too. I don't think we've seen the the, the final form of it, if you will. I don't think we've seen the Chiefs' best version of the Tony, Wildcat, Mahomes, split out, whatever. Like At this point, I would I would probably bet on Mahomes catching the pass at some point this year because it feels like that could be the direction they're heading in. But even if it is just like a little extra trickeration, a little something else for the defense to have to think about, either way, 
Oh, they just showed the replay of Kelsey going down on the turf again. Man, it looked, it stinks. I, ugh. I know, I know it's not bad now, and I still deeply hate it. Don't want to watch that anymore. Uh, I, I, I like the, the new wrinkle in the offense that you can unlock when you have a guy with the speed and quickness of a Kadarius Tony and a guy with the power and violence of Isaiah Pacheco. There are some things that like they should still just be willing to quarterback sneak it at some point. But a new way to uh, to test the the boundaries of what this offense can be, I think, is a really fun thing. Uh, next up, we'll go to Devin, who is driving back to Kansas City from Minnesota right now. Devin, is that true? That is true. Thank you for taking the call. Yeah, I just wanted to visit real quickly about the state of affairs in Minnesota. We're awfully fortunate at Arrowhead. Yesterday before the game, the atmosphere was somewhere between a library and a church service. It was dead quiet, extremely calm. We're just so fortunate with what we've got at Arrowhead. Thank you again for taking my call. Devin, I appreciate it. Thanks for the uh, the call on the way back. Which is the fact that you said all that is crazy because we've all seen how loud that stadium can be. I think Devin, that is a testament to the amount of people wearing red up there yesterday. Uh, our friend Seth Kaiser was up there. He lives in Minnesota, but still a bit of a hike because he's in you know far from the city, Minnesota. Still somehow, that's a big state. I I loved seeing and, and Mahomes and Reed both talked about that after the game as well seeing how much of that stadium was red to where once you have evened out the, the audience, your louds are not as loud. Your skull claps are not as, as overwhelming and violent and in and, and sync as they usually are. That, again, I think is just because somehow, for, for a really good, rabid Vikings fan base, Chiefs fans wormed your way up in there. And uh, I get, Lions fans made a little bit of a dent in Arrowhead, I suppose. But, uh, man, that, that was very, very cool to see. That much red with the, the smattering of purple. Uh, next up here we got Kyle. Kyle, you're in the zone. What's up, man? Hey, Josh. Hey, I meant to ask you this yesterday when I was on the air with you. Mm-hmm. And I want to know uh, your answer to this and your opinion. Why are we running it with uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire instead of Isaiah Bacheco? Uh, more, uh, are we trying to trade Clyde Edwards Hilaire? Are we trying to get in more looks? Because I don't think, I think he's averaging what, two yards a carry. His, yeah. his carries have just dropped. I mean, I had his back last year because he was, he looked promising, but now he's not, he's not as good as he is. Uh, what's your thing on that? On let's stop the air. Kyle, I appreciate you as always, brother. Thanks for the call. Um, let me get you the snap counts because I was surprised. I'm so glad you brought him up. Because I was surprised by the snap counts. The snap line for Pacheco, or excuse me, for, for Clyde Edwards Elayer <laughs> yesterday was three carries for four yards with a long of two. <laughs> oh. um, and at this point, I, he's your third choice in pass protection because McKinnon's great at it and Pacheco has really taken some strides there. And the spots where Clyde had been really useful is kind of, you know, moving in the flow of the offense and kind of squirting open somewhere downfield where maybe Mahomes wasn't expecting him to be. I think, one, I, I'd have not really looked into all of this enough to be able to say it definitively, so take it with a grain of salt. I imagine that the injuries have stacked up a little bit. I, I don't. He was never the fastest, most explosive runner. I wonder right now if that's even lessened by just how many injuries he's dealt with. But... Still, okay, all right, so he's been banged up and he's no good anymore. Why are you playing him so much? It's a fair question, Kyle. When you see him get three carries for a team that only had 21 carries on the day, 16 to Pacheco, one to McKinnon, one to Tony. That was the Wildcat snap, I believe. 
So why is Clyde out there? Why, why, why is he out there so much? Clyde edwards Lair played nine snaps yesterday. Jarek McKinnon played 18, so twice as many for a guy that you do want to make sure is healthy later in the year, who's going to be banged up, who you're asking to do a lot of dirty work, and also is an excellent pass catcher. And then you have Pacheco, who was, you know, injured last year to the point that he had surgery this offseason, missed most of camp getting back. Pacheco had 39 snaps. It's almost 60%, 59% of the Chiefs' snaps to be exact. He played 39 of the 66 offensive snaps and had 16 of the Chiefs' 21 carries. So what I really think it is right now is, one, pretty reasonable. Clyde is this team's third running back. That's what he should be right now. And you might say, hey, are you sure? Well, I saw that Michael P. Ryan looked pretty good in the preseason. Or I saw that Eric Prince got a lot of hype in training camp. Those guys are both still on the practice squad. They're, they're still there. No one from the rest of the league has poached him. And the Chiefs know they're there. They saw them in camp. This is going to be the last year for Clyde in Kansas City. And I, I don't know where he'll catch on next. It's going to be tough to be coming off this season as it's currently unfolding. It's going to be tough to leave this year and, and go land somewhere else on anything other than a real cheap deal. He's a first-round pick, so he got paid well through his rookie contract and everything, which is good. But, I, I mean, we've seen his moments. I, I Maybe, maybe... Because I do think there's a little bit more confidence in him in the offense than there would be in a little Michael P. Ryan right now. Even if P. Ryan is a, if he has another gear at the moment that Clyde doesn't have. The Chiefs still also occasionally will ask Clyde to, you know, take it outside. And it's just never, never, never happening. One of those short yardage runs was, was short because Rasheed Rice missed a block, but I think that was a Pacheco third or, or short yardage conversion attempt. I'll have to check my notes in the break. But it's a good question, but it feels like he's getting more work. It feels like he's out there more, at least for me, because I notice. And the, the ball tends to go to him in those situations. I think it really is just a matter of we need somebody who can run these routes, who can who can take these snaps, who can take these carries, so it's not just Pacheco, 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 Pacheco. Because you want to make sure he's still playing good football in January. And ideally, you want to make sure he's still playing good football in 2024 and 2025. But I think it's a mix of all of those things, even as I completely understand the frustration when, when he is maybe, maybe the least explosive Chiefs player to touch the football in a given game. It's a good question. Hope that's a good answer. Hope it's been a good show for you here in the zone. We'll take a timeout. Field Yates of ESPN will join us in about 10 minutes. More zone next. Hey, if you need a lunch spot, I got a good suggestion for you. How about Johnny's Tavern? Because the premier, the Metro's premier sports bar, they're discounting their 18-inch New York-style specialty pizzas for every Kansas City game. The discount? It's based on what they score. 27 points means 27% off. So today, Johnny's is offering 27% off dine-in only on their 18-inch New York-style specialty pizzas. You can visit them online at johnnystavern.com for all their daily specials. Check the location nearest you. There's a bunch of them. Maybe just open up a GPS, search for Johnny's Tavern. Now you're going to get 27% off the 18-inch New York style specialty pizzas, dining only. You're going to have a good time. You're going to have a good lunch. We're going to have a good lunch hour. Because coming up next, we'll kick it off with Field Yates of ESPN. He'll join us as he does every week to talk about the Chiefs, what he saw in Chiefs Vikings. And the rest of the NFL was crazy yesterday. We'll make Field break it all down with absolutely perfect hair.